If you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to continue our series there. Um, if you're new and visiting, my name is Patrick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace, and I get to look after our community life. Um, and it is a real family feel this morning, and it's been great to hear what's going to be happening in our church. So far um, in our series in Luke, we've had two incredible announcements that have been given, one to a couple that is advanced in years and one to a young gal who has never been with a man, and they've both been told that they're going to have babies, which is quite interesting. So this is kind of where we're at in the story of Luke. Last week, we heard of Mary's response to actually um, hearing that she's going to have a baby, and her song was quite touching, was it not? Uh, Coming from her heart, it was personal, and it was prophetic. So now we are going to continue on in Luke's gospel. So we are going to start at verse 57, and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. It seems like a lot, but it's only 23 verses. So let's read together. Now... The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show us the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear." In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what a good and holy and righteous God you are. Thank you for the privilege of being able to work through this gospel of Luke and hear your words for your people. 
God, use this time, I ask. Use this time to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to send us out with an understanding from this place this morning that you have big plans and you are at work and you're on the move and what a hope we have. So Lord, bless this time, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Names. Have you ever thought about why we name things? Have you ever thought about the way in which we go in naming things? My wife and I, we've had the uh, privilege of naming seven kids. Uh, we've also been able to name some pets. And strangely, as a family, we name our cars. <laughs> but today, when we think about how we pick names, how do we pick names? Got me thinking that I think we pick names based on sound. Do they sound good? Do the names roll together? Can you yell them out loud like, Abigail Marie, get over here. Or <laughs> you call one of your kids and does it roll off your tongue? Do they actually remind you of someone? Someone special that is no longer with us, um, but do they remind you of someone? Or are they popular names? Do we like the names that are pretty cool, pretty trendy? Or do we like names that are original? You know, um, we've had some conversations expecting seven children about what we were going to name kids. And so at times we would go our separate ways to think about names. And then we would present those names to one another. And it was like, I'd never call my kid that name. (laughs) Or why would you want to do that? We go by names because those names can remind us of something and we're not comfortable with them. But it can be part of the process of naming Picking a name can be a fun process, it can be an arduous process, it can be a complicated process, but in the ancient Middle East, they had a way of picking names um, that was quite special. Picking a name um, in the Middle East was, they had a bit of a different criteria. It wasn't necessarily about the way the name rolled off the tongue or whether it was popular or not. The way that they picked names was, if your firstborn son was born, he was to be named after his father. And if the second son was to be born, he would possibly be named after one of the grandfathers or one of the uncles. Similarly, with the girls, when the girls were born, they were, firstborn girl was named after mom. And then, accordingly, if second and third girls were named after relatives. However, there was sometimes, sometimes another name was chosen. And the reason it was chosen was because of what the name meant. You see, names... Names are like all words. They have meaning. They have a definition. So people in the ancient Middle East often looked upon the meaning of a name of a child as perhaps a prediction or a prophecy for what kind of child that kid was going to be. Now, if you were to read through the book of Hosea, you will remember that Hosea named his children and they had a particular meaning. He prophesied about what his children were going to be. There was also another prophet named Isaiah who named his child Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, which means quick pickings and easy prey. Now imagine the ribbing that poor kid would have had at school. <laughs> Meg and I decided not to name any of our kids that, so they should thank us. Um, <laughs> but names have meaning. Meg and I, as a personal story, did not prophesy over our kids, but we did name our kids with particular meanings, with hopes that our children would live up to those names. In fact, our oldest boy, his name is Caleb Foster. 
Caleb's first name means faithful, devotion, wholehearted, bold, and brave. His middle name, Foster, comes from Forester, which if he works in a forest, okay. <laughs> but what our hope has been is that his name, he would live up to that name, sorry, of being faithful and devoted and wholehearted and brave and bold before the Lord. But all this name thinking it, and all this talk leads us to what we're going to read about this morning or what we've read about this morning. So the title of my message this morning is that the sun begins to dawn. And the way we're going to see that the sun begins to dawn is by visiting a baby dedication. And then we're going to hear this proud Papa's praise for his son. And then we're going to see and discover about how this son was made into a prophet or the making of a prophet with one hope this morning, my friends. And that is that this baby dedication that erupts into an amazing, beautiful, prophetic song has more implications for us than we might have thought. So let's dig into this amazing baby dedication and take our seat and be amazed. Look with me at verse 57 and 58. We'll read those together. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Ladies, do I, does somebody have a tissue that I could just use? If, if somebody has a tissue, I'd be so grateful. I didn't bring one. Um, so, in verses 57 and 58, John is born. Thank you, honey. Uh, I'm sorry about that. John is born. Now, what is so significant about all that? Well, an angel prophesied that to Gabriel that in advanced years, um, sorry, angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah in advanced years that he and his wife are going to have a baby. It's quite surprising that God was going to give a couple advanced in years a son. But Zechariah doubted this word and he has been struck dumb and he's, he's been unable to speak. And now they're holding this child, even though he was given this consequence of being unable to speak. Him and his wife are still uh, able to have this baby and they conceive. And now the baby is born. John is here. Now, what's so interesting about this is that Elizabeth is getting having visitors. We understand that Mary, probably the mother of Jesus, has been visiting her. Now, I want you to think about this. Elizabeth, old in age, is giving birth. Women, some of you have had babies. Think about this. You've having birth. You have somebody in the room, ancient Middle Eastern time. It was probably a circus. They probably had lots of visitors in the room with you, cheering you on or standing outside. And Mary, I wonder if Mary got to hold Elizabeth's hand while she's delivering this baby. But here she is, visitors. Now, did you know that after a baby was born for the seven nights, seven nights in ancient Middle Eastern culture, you would have parties. 
ladies, would you want to party for seven nights in a row? <laughs> After giving birth, people are coming and visiting and congratulating them and giving much rejoicing because of what the Lord has done. So let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 59 and read verses 59 and 60. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Now you see, in the culture and time, the Jewish laws were that on the eighth day, there was a celebration, there was a ceremony. In this ceremony, there was um, a naming, there was a circumcision, there was uh, prayers, Um, people were invited to come along and to participate in this ceremony. In fact, in the ceremonies, oftentimes, fathers were quite involved in the proceedings. Fathers would get to participate in the servings. Perhaps they got to do the circumcisions. Perhaps they got to participate in the prayers. But this is kind of what is taking place. There is this ceremony that is taking place, which was followed by wine and food and fellowship. But I wonder, dad is mute. He's not able to speak. Who's going to do this? Who's going to preside over the ceremony? Who's going to actually you know, do the prayers for their son. I wonder if Zechariah got somebody in to actually step in for him to preside over this um, ceremony. Now, if somebody um, had filled in for Zechariah, think about this. If a priest had actually filled in for Zechariah, he's probably just thinking, here is this baby. We are going to pray for him and dedicate him. And his name is going to be Zechariah. And then mother in the back of the room is going, no, 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 no. He's not going to be called Zechariah. His name is to be called John. So she's holding up and stopping the ceremony. But this, you know, who wouldn't want Zechariah's name to be given to the son? Because Zechariah is a great name. Zechariah means the one in whom Yahweh remembers. But we need to not call him Zechariah because there has been a command that his name shall be called John. And that's what we saw in verse 60. He's not to be called Zechariah. He's to be called John. Now imagine coming to a baby dedication here and we're about to pray for a baby and somebody stops. No, don't call him that name. That's not his name. Um, it would be quite a scene. So those think, attending must be thinking, how strange. Well, let's keep reading what happens in verse 61. And they said to her, but none of your relatives is called by John. You see, um, Elizabeth is saying, you can't call him John. And then the family and friends are saying, you can't call him that because they're saying you don't have any relatives that are named John. And that is actually considered an insult in the ancient Middle Eastern times. That is an insult not to continue on the father's name. So imagine this continued commotion in the ceremony. And imagine if you have friends that are Middle Eastern, they are expressive, they are loud. And perhaps Elizabeth is trying to explain the angel told Zechariah that he is to be called hold Zechariah. And so they finally turn to Zechariah and they ask, what is Zechariah? What is he supposed to be called? But have you ever wondered why Zechariah hasn't been more involved originally? You see, verse 62 is going to inform us, but I think he didn't because he didn't know that they were what they were actually arguing about. Zechariah wasn't just mute. He wasn't just unable to hear. Let's read on in verse 62. It says, And they made signs to his father inquiring what they wanted him to be called. So here in verse 62, Luke records that they were making signs to Zechariah to get his attention. And if Zechariah could hear, then why would they want to be signing to him? 
Now, yes, in verse 20 of this chapter, we're told that he's only made, Zechariah was only made mute. However, thank, thank God for Greek scholars who've been able to help us translate. This actually, the word that they use for mute can also be understood as mute and deaf. But imagine back to the scene here, proud Papa Zechariah is at the baby dedication ceremony. He has presided over many of them. He probably understands what's going to be happening, what's going to come next. He's probably got that silly grin on his face that dads get at baby dedications. Just this proud moment of gratitude. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's probably Zechariah, unable to hear, unable to speak. And then bang, there's this commotion going on. There's people trying to communicate him. They're, they're interrupting him going, hey, what's... And they explain to him what is going to happen. So look what verse happens at verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is to be called John. Dad is going to confirm that he is to be called John. Now, there are no blackboards back then. I don't know if Zacharias is writing on papyrus with ink, but... He's asked for a writing tablet. And what a writing tablet was back then is this this, this flat piece of wax that you would write on and then it could be smoothed and pressed out. That's possibly how Zechariah and Elizabeth have been speaking to one another or communicating over the last nine months. But Zechariah takes this writing tablet and says, his name is to be John. John is a great name. John actually means God has been gracious. You see, God has been gracious indeed. He was gracious to Zechariah. He was gracious to Elizabeth. And he was gracious to actually all who had encountered their son later in life. But notice what takes place next. Verse 64. And immediately... His mouth, his mouth being Zechariah, was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing to the Lord. Nine months is a very long time to be silent. Nine months. No doubt he probably would have had a lot to say after he was able to speak. But what does he do? According to verse 64, he praises the Lord. You know, praise from the Lord comes from a true condition of our hearts. Zechariah, his condition of heart is revealed in his first words. He praises the Lord. But you might be thinking, how can he be praising the Lord? He's been in nine months of silence. But you know what we see or what we can understand is, is that the suffering that had happened to him, it was for his spiritual good. Think about that. Zechariah's suffering had done him spiritual good. Now, before he does anything, before he speaks to his wife, before he speaks to his newborn son, before he speaks to his family and his friends, he speaks to the Lord. You see, Zechariah's original unbelief in Gabriel's promise of a son has been replaced by faith. It's quite incredible. What a baby dedication. (laughs) But let's look at the effect that happened to those who are attending. Read verses 65 and 66 with me. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. 
Neighbors are awestruck. Why? Why are the neighbors awestruck? Well, as I don't know if you've ever attended graduation ceremonies, weddings, funerals. I don't know if you've, um, or baby dedications. And in those times, do you not think about the process of what it's taken for someone to graduate? Or when you think about someone's life, or when you think about two people coming together. In those times when we're attending those ceremonies, there is a lot to think about and a lot to celebrate with. These people have watched Zechariah and Elizabeth, an older couple living amongst them. Zechariah is the priest. How, imagine how many women would have wept with Elizabeth that she was barren. Imagine how many people would have asked, is everything okay? Imagine them knowing their priest has gone in to offer a sacrifice and has come out unable to speak. And then for nine months, unable to fulfill his role. They must be rehearsing. But then, after Zechariah confirms that his name is called John, he bursts out in praise and adoration and an exaltation to God prophetically. It is quite a baby dedication that is going off. And that is what makes this baby dedication so exciting. The truth is, though, that the people in verses 65 and 66 aren't the only ones who are so awestruck. We've got a proud papa who cannot contain himself and is about to burst open in praise. And what is so interesting about his praise, about his song, is how prophetic it is. So, which takes us to point two, a proud papa's praise. Now, before we kind of look into this, I want you to notice something here. Zechariah is about to be the mouthpiece of God. He is about to be a divine soloist, just like Mary was. And these words, these words that he's uttering, these words that are recorded for us in Scripture, they are the very words of God spoken through Zechariah. So, look with me at verse 67. And we see, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Zechariah is breaking his silence. And after Luke reveals how the people responded to what Zechariah said, it seems as though Luke's going back now to record exactly what the lyrics were of Zechariah's prophetic song. So what we're going to see in this song is really two things. Proud Papa is going to sing about the prophecy of the promised Messiah. There has been a promise. There has been an expectation that a Messiah is going to come. And Zechariah is singing about that. He's also going to sing about this coming prelude, which is going to be his son, his own flesh and blood. The son who is going to be the voice of one who cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This really is incredible. Here we go in verses 68 and 69. We see Zechariah saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. Again, we've said that Zechariah's first words are praise to God. Praise to God because what God has said, he has will do. What God has said, he will do, is being done. You see, Israel is about to, uh, God is sorry, about to redeem Israel. He's about to ransom captive Israel. He's about to deliver them from 
bondage. Zechariah is stating prophetically here in these words that Mary and Joseph are of royal descent. Zechariah is therefore implying that the son that Mary carries is of the house of David. What incredible, incredible moment. They've been waiting for this. They've been expecting this. And then he refers to this horn of salvation. Do you know, I don't know if you ever thought about what a horn of salvation is, but this horn of salvation equals a a strength. Horns are a sign of strength in an animal. And this Messiah is going to be strong. He's going to have strength to save us, mighty to save us. But what is he going to save us from? You see, the Bible, the word salvation is used a lot of times in many places. And Zechariah is referring to a deliverance from enemies. Zechariah is understanding that we are going to be delivered from Rome. We're going to be delivered from the Idumean king. We're going to be delivered from King Herod sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. That's going to be the horn of salvation. This baby, the Messiah, will be strong to save them from their enemies. Look with me at verses 70 to 75. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from a old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days you see zechariah his expectation was of a warlike messiah this messiah was going to be conquering this messiah was going to provide prominence for israel among the nations this was actually a very common understanding of the messiah and it wasn't a wrong understanding many prophecies of the old testament promise such a messiah that jesus will do this but most people fail to understand This, that Jesus was going to come twice. And this time he's coming to suffer. This time he's coming to to die. This time he's coming to be mocked and to be ridiculed and to be rejected. He's coming to serve. This, I think, is why a lot of people rejected Jesus as Messiah when he came. Because he was not the kind of Messiah that they were expecting What they didn't know, and Jesus, I believe, was trying to teach them, is that he's going to come twice. First, to suffer and die for sin. Yes, he is going to fight against our enemy, our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. But then he's going to come again a second time as a mighty warrior, as a judge, and as a conqueror. What a hope this song is providing in these words that Zechariah is prophesying about. There are things to come, and he is very excited about that. And get for us, he is coming again as well as conqueror. This prophecy lands on us today. You see, Zechariah now finishes prophesying about the prophesied Messiah, and now he's going to prophesy prophetically about this coming prelude, about the one who's going to make way for the coming Messiah, and he's prophesying that it's going to be his own flesh and blood. His son, 
and his, and this Messiah are going to make way for salvation. Read with me verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Wow. Imagine being in that room. No wonder the crowd is kind of like awe and they're going throughout Judea to tell people, you would not believe what I just heard. That boy, that son is is special. That is so incredible. And so here's another thing that's very important to the context of everything that we're studying is get this. There has been no prophet for four centuries among the Jews. It's been dead as a doornail. Nothing has been exciting and happening. And yet all the while God has been at work and in the right time, at the right place, with the right people, he is bringing forth his kingdom Zechariah's son, John, is the prelude. I don't know about you. I I think I've shared this before, but I I actually like to imagine what it looks like. I could be totally wrong. But I picture Zechariah as a big guy, big Middle Eastern guy. He's probably got a beard that's just all over the place. He's probably, he's robed. He's probably got a belt. And just, just belting out a song to the Lord with so much joy and so much excitement. And here he is uttering these words about what God has done and is going to do. It is incredible. But not only is it that his son is going to do something significant, he's actually going to be prophesying about what the one who's going to come after him is going to do. What an incredible, exciting time for those people. Read with me verses 77 to 78. So, he's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Salvation. The salvation that this is speaking of is a spiritual salvation rather than from physical enemies. And we can see that in verse 77 because he's saying in the forgiveness of their sins. This isn't about conquering and having a place um, uh, among the nations or having a king over everybody. It is actually to about for the forgiveness of sins from their spiritual uh, enemy. The sunrise that this is talking about is kind of this picture that um, the world was in a dark place. The world was dark at night or dark. It was in a dark night. It was black with sin. But Jesus is on the sunrise. Jesus is the sunrise bringing light and peace. It is incredible what is going to happen you see, the prophecy continues in verse 79. You see, and what we're getting this picture of is that the world is looking for answers. They were looking for answers. And yet the light only ever comes from Jesus Christ. But they're tempted to look for things in other places. They're tempted to look for another king or another ruler or another position. That is what will make everything better. The world is also calling for peace. Peace only ever comes when people believe in Jesus for eternal life. And they start living the way that he wants them to. But we're going to look for peace in other places as well. Friends, is this not us? 
so tempted to look elsewhere, and yet Jesus is the one that we are to be looking to, and he is about to come into the world. He is the only way. And Zechariah's song declares the prophesied Messiah, prophesied promise of the Messiah is to come. And Zechariah's song declares that the prelude, his son, will go before the Messiah, and he will be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. This son will also be the one that says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. What an amazing song. What an amazing prophecy this is. And yet we have one final verse and our final point, and that is a prophet in the making. Read with me verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. You know, we can actually come to this final verse, and it can kind of seem out of character. Like, it's inc- it, it, why is that there? Why? What's the point of this? But I want you to know, these 30 words, 30-ish words, describe the life and ministry of John. How would you feel if your life was just described in about 30 words? Here, somebody who's going to be making a way for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His ministry and his life is summed up just here. Got me thinking. Have you ever wondered kind of what God's up to? Kind of ever wondered, what is God doing? Where is he? I want you to cast your eyes back over this verse with me for a moment. And I want to put before you um, these words. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. This tells us something about spiritual development. God is interested in how we grow. But if you notice, it's important to God about our inside, not our outside. I want you to think about that for a moment. God is definitely more concerned about what's going on in here than what's going on in here, even though this looks really good. No, I'm just kidding. God is interested in what's going on in here. Think about that. But yet we get so distracted and so consumed with all the other things. But if you're kind of wondering, what is God doing? He's working here. God always looks at the heart first, and we've seen that throughout Scripture. But I want to suggest to you, if you would like to know where to start so that you are effective for God, I would encourage you to start with your heart. Invite him to renew in you a right heart, to create in you a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within you. Invite the Lord To have his way with you. To change you. Don't tell God what you're going to do for him. Ask him, Lord, how can I be more like you? Grow me. Make me to be like you. God is always doing something, my friends. But he will always start with your heart. I wonder if you ever feel like God has abandoned you. God has left you. Think about John. John was in the wilderness. John was 
not with the people. John's preparation took place in desert and solitude. That was the way that God chose to prepare John for what he was about to do. And I wonder if you're here this morning feeling as though God is slow to use you. Or perhaps nothing happens when, and you don't get a chance to actually do things for God. I would want to say to you, dear friend, please be faithful where you are. Love the people that God has put around you. Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Grow where you are planted. Because he sees it all. It is no accident where you are right now. But if you're kind of feeling like God's left you, I can promise you right now he has not left you. He has neither left you nor forsaken you. He is ever with you. John, no doubt, would have been tempted to, I wonder, wonder where God was doing. And we'll probably see that in later on. And you feel like, God, what are you doing? Where, or has he, that he's left you? But friends, I want to assure you that he's always working in us. And while we wait for his return, remember, he is at work doing something. And that's exactly what uh, he's been doing with John. He's making him to be the prophet he's supposed to be. And would we great draw great encouragement from that? You know, friends, um, this was a hopeful event. This was a event that was quite special. It was a beautiful baby dedication. We heard a proud papa's praise, and we saw just a brief glance of a prophet in the making. And yet, one of the things that has struck me most this week as I've prepared and as I've been thinking about this is the reason why this whole naming of John is in recorded in Scripture. It's the only book that is recorded this account. Um, the only gospel that has recorded this account. You see, John's name is God has been gracious. You know, this isn't necessarily significant, John's naming. It's not necessarily significant to the story of Jesus. It's not necessarily significant to the story of John. And yet, for Jewish tradition, this is quite incredible to not have a firstborn son named after a father, it has some ramifications. It has some meaning, and I think it's relevant for us this morning. You know, naming a father after his son, that, that when that happens, they're expected to do what the father did. So if, Zechari- if John was to be called Zechariah, John was expected to walk in his father's footsteps. He was expected to carry on in his, his father's name and in his father's work. He would have been expected to be a priest, just like his dad was. He would have been expected to live among the people. But by being John, by not doing what dad did, there came with some actually some emotional issues, some deep Issues that would have had to have been worked out because this means that John's actually renouncing his family. This actually means that he's turning his back on his dad's work. And think about that is that John is Zechariah and Elizabeth's only son and he's not going to be carrying his father's name. That's, that's a big deal. But there is this new name that was commanded by God. 
get this, a new name for, for Zechariah Jr. was given by God. It was commanded by God. And God is indicating that John would not be carrying on in dad's name. God seems to be upsetting the apple cart. Wait a minute. What's going on here? But I want you to look what happened. Dad was priest. John was prophet. Dad lived among the people and John lived outside of the people. Dad's part of the old religious system and John is standing apart from that old system. And when we get to Luke chapter 3, when we're in our series, we're going to see that John is going to call people out of Judaism and to follow Christ. He's going to call people away from the religious leaders and call them to Christ. So what does that mean? You see, so too, every single Christian, every single disciple, every single follower of Jesus, when we believe in Jesus for eternal life, we get a new name. The world wants to claim you as its own. The world wants to claim you as its own. And yet, that's not what we're called to do. It wants to give you a new name and it wants you to follow in its footsteps. It doesn't want you to upset the apple cart. And yet, the new name that Jesus gives us, the world's not going to give us. Because it's a name that tells everybody we're different. We're actually different. We're salt. We're light. We're different. And what is that name? Christian. Christian is your new name if you believe in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read the story or watched the movie of Pilgrim's Progress. Everybody here kind of read Pilgrim's Progress or seen the movie? It is brilliant. And I would encourage you to please get a copy of John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. It is one of the most amazing stories. I remember reading it as a little kid. I've had the privilege of reading it with my children. We watched it through COVID, which was just a divine appointment from the Lord for us in the movie. Um, yeah, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Please, 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 please do yourself a favor and spend the money to get that book. But in the story, there is a pilgrim throughout the book. Throughout the book, in the story, yeah, there's a, there's a, a pilgrim by the name of Christian. And that's his name. But I wonder, does anybody remember what Christian's original name was? Anybody remember what his original name was? It tells us in the movie... Um, there is a scene that appears where the porter comes up to Christian and says, what is your name? And he says something quite striking. And it's landed on me as I've considered this naming of John. Christian says, my name is Christian. But I used to be, I once was, graceless. Isn't that incredible? Graceless. Is what my name used to be. Friends, the same can be said of all of us. All of us who claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was graceless. 
That is who we once were. But instead, our name is now Christian. But it wasn't always. It was not always Christian. And I want you to let that sink in. Because as you rehearse who you once were, you have no right to be on his team. And yet in love and in mercy, he come after you. And he pulls you and calls you and says, you're mine. But that isn't what we deserve. I am so aware of who I once was. And it ain't pretty. I was headed to hell. Alive without Jesus. Separation from God. Never to enjoy his mercy. Friend, he has given me a new name. Not because of what I've done. But because of what he has done. And if you are here this morning. And you're questioning. If you believe in Jesus. And you think, where is he? Why is he overlooking me? Where is he gone? I tell you, I promise you, he has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He loves you. He has given his one and only son for you so that you might have life. And life to the full. Your name was graceless. And as you rehearse what you once were... And then you consider who you are now because of Christ. Your affection and your love and your desire for him grows and grows and grows. He is worthy of every single breath that you now take. He is worthy of your life in exchange for his. It is good. Prior to my name change, I was graceless. But now, instead, I'm Christian. Sometimes I find it hard to accept all of his goodness and all of his glory and all of his greatness. And what can happen is sometimes it's our past that gets in the way. You might be sitting here this morning and thinking, oh, well, he's pretty wrecked about that. And that's okay. You may be sitting here thinking, my past. Man, if people knew about my past, they would hate me. I wouldn't have any friends. They'd be shocked. And friends, I want to tell you, Four weeks ago, the spirit was landing on me. And there was something that I, in my own life, was ashamed of. And I hadn't told. I had mentioned to Dave and Brendan about it before, but I hadn't kind of fully shared all of it. And I just kept feeling every time I was reading my Bible, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. 
And I wouldn't share it with them. And I, I was worried. I had was, you know, the fear of making, of being at peace with God and worried about what the outcome could be was real. But I humbled myself and I shared with Dave and Brendan. And again, in grace and mercy, peace and kindness, they threw their arms around me. Well, not really, but they <laughs> generously rehearsed the gospel with me, reminding me, your name is Christian. Past, present, and future. That's how powerful the gospel is. Friends, you have a new name. And if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, I want you to know Luke chapter 1 should build your confidence. Just like Luke was wanting Theophilus' confidence to grow, your confidence can grow because of this Messiah. Keep your eyes on this Messiah. Let's watch him as we work our way through this, this book and would our confidence and our hope grow because we have an amazing Savior and he's coming again. What if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian? I have some very, very good news for you this morning. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus... He wants to give you a new name. Now, how beautiful is it that he will give you a new name? And so I'd love to talk to you about that, or you talk to the person that you're, who has brought you this morning. But a new name is available for you. But oh, my friends, what a baby dedication that has erupted with a proud papa's prophetic song and has more implications than you might have ever thought. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are my Heavenly Father. What a privilege to come to you as Heavenly Father. What a privilege to read your word and to remember who you are, what you have done, and what you are going to do. Oh, Lord, thank you for a new name. Lord, thank you for good news that we have to go and tell the world. I once was graceless, but then I met Jesus, and now I'm a Christian. Our friends that don't know you need to know that. Lord, they need to know names are important. And what a privilege to carry the name Christian. And so, Lord, my prayer is is that we, as we leave this place this morning, oh, man, we would be excited that our names have been changed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.